So we should probably start properly. Yes. And I think it's my turn. Okay. I do the even numbers and think that's how it works. Right. <laughs> Welcome to episode eight. It's eight, right? Of <laughs> the Creative Coding Podcast. Yeah, it is eight. I just checked on iTunes, yeah. Yeah, number eight. I'm glad we got that sorted. With me, Seb Lee Delisle. Uh, and me, Ian Lobb. So, what's new, Ian? Um, <laughs> so, have we established a format now, which is like, plug stuff you've just done, then know. the actual content of the programme, and then at the end, plug coming up stuff? I don't know, maybe. I think it's a bit looser than that, but I wanted to ask <laughs> you about right. your ditching of client work. That's happened, dun, dun, hasn't dun, it, dun. since the last recording? Contra- it has, yeah, and it's been announced in person and on twitter but i've not actually like written a blog post about it yet because i'm still trying to like you know i'm still mulling it over in my mind like the reasons and everything yeah does that make sense yeah well so you want to properly express all of your reasons properly in a decent yeah exactly yeah 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 but i mean the main reasons are it's a kind of confluence of reasons it's like creatively i find it very frustrating now to to do client work because just when you think you've got a good idea and the client's gone for it and it's what's happening and you like it and you can live with it they just change it and they ruin your idea or they they say oh you know the good idea that we had we don't want to do that or we want to do this other idea they can certainly ruin your fun that's for sure (laughs) yeah i mean like i don't know i mean the one it's a, the, the, the thing I'm working on at the moment is actually for a client who are really great and, but, you know, they just, they just have changes that they want because, you know, they want, it's their thing, they're paying for it. So they want it the way they want it, right? Yeah. And so, and, but I just, I just find it quite, quite painful and an arduous. Yeah. So it's like, even with a good client, I find the whole process quite frustrating I don't. Frustrating isn't even the word. It's more like just disheartening. Well, it's it's kind of a, t- a time suck as well, isn't it? Mm. You know, I think that's that's the biggest problem I have with it is that I just want to get things done and finish stuff. Um, but inevitably, yeah. there's going to be like you know a couple of weeks yeah. of just compromise and discussions and persuading people yeah. that you're right. <laughs> and I mean, and the other thing is that I just don't like the way that clients. And this isn't true for all of my clients, but it is for some of the clients that I've had, is that they want all of the stuff from you. They expect it all immediately and they expect you to hit all your deadlines. Yeah. But when it comes to actually paying you at the end, <laughs> they take all the time in the world and there's, they don't feel like they're under any particular pressure to pay you, even though you need that money to live. Don't you have it? Um, I would always, well, there was a couple of things that I would do, but, um, you know, recently I've just been going through the whole legal side with a lawyer here in New York. Right. And... In fact, I saw it on another a, 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 a presentation that I saw. I think you might have tweeted it, the one with the expletive in. Yeah, if you pay me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and there was that, the, I mean, there was this one thing that they said that sort of struck a chord, and my lawyer here also did it. Whereas, if you get offered a contract and they say that mm. you're giving them the rights to everything, like the easiest, safest thing to do is just say, after you've paid me, <laughs> I'll give you the rights to everything. You know, yeah. so it's literally one little change. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't help you in every circumstance, though. No. It doesn't help you, for example, if the project is cancelled because they, they're not interested in the things then. Yeah, true. Um, so, I mean, what I've done before in the past is, like, just held something back. Um, and, like, I think once it was, like, the source code or something. Right. 
but that was to a yeah, client I mean, that needed the I, source I mean, I've code. been lucky. Like, so far, I've not had a client who didn't pay me. Yeah. So it's just about timing. Because, you know, you can get a fairly good idea, like, of whether a client is, like, the kind of client that's going to not pay you. And, the, you know, most of the companies that I work with tend to be, like, very reputable things. Yeah. Or, like, digital agencies you can always trust to pay you, I think. Yeah, eventually. Eventually, yeah. It's just it's just a matter of how long it takes. Yeah. You know, a, a digital agency isn't going to ruin their reputation by not paying you. Sure. Basically. Do you get paid in instalments? Do you get a deposit when you start a project? Um, no, because most of the projects I tend to do tend to be less than, say, um, a month. If it's more than a month, then, yeah, I definitely will ask for instalments. Yeah, I'll always get um, half up front. You see, yeah, half up front I've never got, you see. I mean, a lot of clients just won't go for that. Just tell them it's your terms. Yeah, I'm not pushy enough, you see. But the thing is, yeah. I don't want any, I don't want clients anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've spent ages, like, building up my reputation online and getting good sources of clients and stuff, and now I'm just not interested anymore. Yeah, I mean... The I... thing is, it's like, I'm, I'm going to give it a go to make my own games. Yeah. And see if I can, you know, make a living from that. And if I can't, I'm going to have to come back to client work in, say, a year's time. But I'm calling it a retirement because I, I hope that I'm not going not gonna to come back. I haven't really worked for a client on a project for quite a while. I mean, I've had, like, consulting clients, but that's kind of different. I'll just go in and tell them what to do for a day. That's kind of easy. <laughs> um, mm. But I do kind of miss client projects a little bit, I have to admit. Really? A, a tiny yeah, imagine, bit. Imagine, Sev, you imagine having, say, like a three or four month project hanging over your head where you know that this is going to be the next four months of your life. Let's make no bones about it. I think I am at this stage pretty much entirely unemployable. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but there's something about client work and the sense of purpose that I sort mm. of miss. Um, mm. I know, I do see that. I but think, I don't I miss you, it that much. <laughs> if you like work on site in an office, it helps because there are kind of the sense of camaraderie and things like that tend to be a kind of motivating factor. Yeah. And the fact that you're like all working on it together and things like in the same place can be, isn't always, but can be a kind of, you know, an additional incentive and thing that keeps you motivated. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, yeah. I look at the, the work that... Um, my partners and colleagues at Plugin are doing at the moment. They've got some incredible clients, you know, like they've just done the Psychoville website and that sort of ongoing mm -hmm. new bits of websites getting added every week. And um, and also they've just done a, a project for Sesame Street. So it's, you know, right. you'd get to work on some really cool projects, right? We yeah. Like on our own, independently, we wouldn't be able to work with those sort of products yeah. well i mean my, my last bit of client work for a while which i'm hopefully just about to start is really cool thing um but i'm not allowed to talk about it at all because it's nda <laughs> so it's a real catch-22 situation where it's like i'm working on something really cool that i'll never be able to tell anyone about well even when you've and, finished it yeah you're not allowed to tell anyone you've done it when you've finished it no i'll never be able to tell anyone that i've ever done it that's ridiculous <laughs> I know, it really sucks, but it comes from, you know, a big media organisation who have to anonymise all of their things. Yeah. They don't want individual authors associated with, like, their big mega brands, right? Sure. It's the same way that adverts on TV don't have credits. Mm. No, but, adverts, but the people that make adverts are allowed to tell people that they made the adverts. That is true, actually, yeah. I mean, I okay. think you should check that, because I know, you know, like, Carlos Ulloa, he does a lot of work mm -hmm. for Disney, and I think, yeah. you know, I think they're very... They don't put credits on any of the work and he's not allowed to talk about it until it's all finished and stuff. But yeah. 
you know, so I think there, but he does in his presentations, he talks about it, right? Yeah, I mean, this is slightly different though because this is, well, I mean, it's through another agency and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So, so, I mean, it's a slightly different situation. I don't think they can necessarily stop you telling people that you've No, they absolutely can. Really? Yeah, because I mean, originally it was part of my thing when I stipulated what my terms were. One of my terms was that I'm able to talk about the work. Yeah. And they said that that was cool. And then they went back to their lawyers and it, and it turned out that no, that's, that can't happen. Are they paying you more for that? Um, no, but I could see the argument. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not. But I mean, what? why would I? It's weird. It's like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but it's still a cool project. I should still enjoy it. I mean, one thing that I did negotiate on that was um, to be able to, you know, explicitly separate my game engine mm. and, the, and the intellectual property of that That's from cool. the actual work itself. So, like any development that goes into the game engine while I'm working, I get to keep. That's kind of that's kind of essential though, as well, isn't it? Because if you, it is, I think a lot. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I think you know what you're probably about to say was that a lot of a lot of agreements we sign is like, yeah, we're signing everything over, and that's just ridiculous, really, because there are techniques, and even if we rewrote the game from scratch every single time, there's still stuff in there that you're redoing or reworking or reversioning from old stuff. The the concept of them mm. owning all of that is just a bit ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's also silly because it's like you know, just say you're doing something for Hellman's Mayonnaise. Mm. Hellman's Mayonnaise don't need to own a game engine. No. There's no reason that they would. No. <laughs> it makes much more sense if you own it. Yeah, totally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, so... It's like in, you're still and, letting them use it for whatever they want, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like what's the unlimited difference? license, right? So they can do whatever they want with I it. I guess we, we talked about this a bit with Joel and Pete, didn't we? Oh, yeah, I think I'm getting... Yeah, I think we have spoken about this kind of stuff before. Yeah. But I think what most people do is most people just, you know, they, they do roll the same code over between different projects. They just don't bother making it all official. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's impossible not to. Yeah, absolutely. But that, then and it then just th seems a bit ridiculous that you're signing something that in no way is relevant to the work that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing is that some people open source stuff so that they can get around these issues yeah. like easier. But there's no reason why you should have to open source something just to be able to reuse it. I mean, really what you should do is like, say you've got a game engine, you should charge your client for the time involved in making them a game and then you should charge them a license fee for using your pre-existing game engine. Yeah, but I mean the way that I negotiate with clients prices anyway is I go in at a number yeah. they, which they can never afford and then it's about <laughs> a back and forth negotiation anyway. So yeah. all my clients normally end up paying as close as possible to the most they can afford anyway. Good. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. In a way it's disappointing if you say a price for a job and they go, yeah, all right, because it's like... Oh, could have asked for more money. So speaking of um, open source projects and the like, I wanted to talk today about the Rome project. Have you seen that? Mm, yeah, it's cool. So uh, that's all open source. So for oh, is it? Uh, at Google I.O., they, uh, they revealed this Rome project, um, which is... Oh, is it? It's Danger Mouse, isn't it? It was the music producer, I believe. And I think Nora Jones is doing the singing. And I always get disappointed think... when they say Danger Mouse and it's not the cartoon character. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, so... Was it Jack White as well on that track, or was, uh, did I imagine yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's a few people involved, wasn't there? I probably should look it up. Yeah. Um, oh, is this a Mr. Doob project or something? Yeah, it is Mr. Doob. So it's Chris Milk, 
who's the artistic director, and then I know that Aaron Koblin and Mr. Tube are probably pretty major players in, in getting that done. And I also know Bartek Drodjed had something to do with it as well, right? Um, right. He's a, a, an old Flash guy doing a lot of Unity now. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, I know Ricardo, um, better known as Mr. Dube. I know him pretty well and been chatting to him about his approach quite a bit. And he's just basically engineered the situation where he's doing exactly the sort of work that he wants to do under the terms that he wants to do it. <laughs> and yeah. and his, all, everything he does is open source. So that's the kind of situation that you can get into only by just doing your own thing yeah. and waiting for people to come to you because they want it. Yeah, so we should just say right. probably a bit about what Rome is. We'll obviously provide a link to it, but it's this huge WebGL um, environment. It's like a music video, but there's like a 3D WebGL landscape that you're flying through and you can control and you can t make uh, animals appear and you can write on the walls and stuff. It's pretty impressive. It's just beautifully executed, right? You've seen it, yeah? Mm. Yeah, it's really nice. It's... um. It's, you have to see it to understand it really There's, I don't know what you can say about it but it's cool it's like a kind of roller coaster music video thing yeah so all done with WebGL like I said so I mean that's kind of uh, WebGL is pretty cool um, I think the fact that it doesn't run on Internet Explorer is a pretty major problem mm. something that not, not, no one's really talking about <laughs> sure I mean yeah but, what, what's interesting with kind of all of these uh, the browser based kind of solutions is that the the browser vendors the people who make them like google mozilla internet explorer they all market their products based on the like unique abilities of their products but the whole point of html5 or you know web standards was that it's standardized across everything does that make sense a little bit i mean i think that that mozilla and google are, are making these groundbreaking products projects to showcase you know what their browsers can do but you know the fact is that the the rome project does work on firefox mm. you know so yeah there's a slight difference well on, in that right? does it work well on firefox i've heard it works okay on firefox i haven't tried it myself but i will but I guess the difference is that this stuff has the potential to work across browsers. Mm, yeah, it's just Microsoft again, really, isn't it? It's just Microsoft. But I think that I think we've talked about this before. But I do think that Microsoft are for the first time ever being influenced by the other browser vendors. Right? No one thought yeah. for a minute that they'd implement um, SVG or Canvas, and yet they have done no. it. Mm. Yeah. Especially now, you can get Chrome Frame, right? Yeah. So is is WebGL the next? thing that they implement i don't know i mean who knows but i think i they're... guess if webgl content becomes popular that'll be the incentive for them to do it right yeah totally otherwise you'll just get a window that says install chrome frame sure in the same way i guess that you'd get a window that says install the flash player yeah yeah that's true really yeah because chrome frame is just a plugin isn't it that chrome... like any other plugin it's insane it's an insane idea chrome frame it blows my yeah. mind really uh... It's a brilliant idea. It's, it's so it's it's completely ingenious. It's a browser that is a plugin. <laughs> but the other thing, you know, the other thing about Chrome is that it's just beautifully executed. Real massive levels of craftsmanship. You know, they've been working for months on that, right? On on what? Chrome. Yeah, yeah, very polished. Yeah, who has the? Yeah, you almost never get the time to like put that much craft into like a bit of web stuff. No, never. Very rarely get that sort of budget. I'd be interested to know what the entire spend was, but. You know, I can't imagine it was cheap at all. No. One of the shames, you know, one of the, the, the kind of sad things about interactive, you know, web work is that sometimes the budgets are quite low compared to other things. 
and it means that you know the craft often doesn't get applied and it's things like this give you a kind of glimpse of what the world would be like if you know things had bigger budgets i guess does that make sense yeah totally i mean i guess there's always been there's there's always been issues with budget in any field right in any medium even tv right tv budgets have all been massively cut so i guess part of being good is finding ingenious ways of getting good content for no money sure yeah but it's it's always you i guess it's always easier if you've got more money to do something really ambitious right yeah but more important news from uh, google io is that angry birds is now in the chrome web store oh yeah i saw that yeah yeah um i'm not not really blown away by it (laughs) i think it's cool but um yeah, I mean, some people are talking about how, you know, it has to use Flash for the sound, okay, yeah. which is fair enough. Cause, so we should just you know, explain audience. what it is, right, for those who haven't seen it, just what, quickly. A- what Angry Birds is. Yeah, it's this... <laughs> no, no, no. So, so Google have put um, Angry Birds in their web store, and rather than use it being a Flash game, which I expected it to be, it's actually all um, JavaScript and HTML5. But it's, it uses it Flash for the sound. Or? Well, this is quite interesting because... Apparently, and I've done a bit of research into this and I've also got some advice from several people, but apparently it will use WebGL if you've got it. Right. Um, but if, if you, you don't have it... have it, then it uses a Canvas implementation. Right. I've also heard, though, and I haven't seen proof of this, but someone told me that if you don't have either of those things, it will fall back to moving DOM elements around. Right. With CSS, which just seems pretty crazy to me. As far as I can tell, it well... was made with Google Web Toolkit, so... Right. I mean, if that's true, they it's been implemented three times. Well, apparently there's an engine that, that will sort of take care of that for you. It might right, be part okay. of Web Toolkit, I'm not sure. Okay. But still, pretty um, insane, right? It, yeah. And, yeah, I hope... Is that true? Are we in Ignorance Corner here or not? Which bit? The fact that it renders in three different modes. Uh, it definitely does the we first two. Because I've only seen the Canvas one, I it, think. It definitely does, like, WebGL if it's got it, and it will fall back to Canvas. I haven't seen proof that it's moving DOM elements around, but someone told me that. Sure. So we're in semi-ignorance corner. Okay. Because it's just whenever anything happens with HTML5, like, you always have to be very sceptical. Yeah, totally. Because do you remember, like, HTML5 Pac-Man that wasn't HTML5 and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, well, you know, to be honest, it doesn't really matter whether it's an HTML canvas element or whether it's JavaScript moving around normal HTML elements. I mean, at this stage, it's just, like, a native browser implementation as far as I'm concerned. Sure. So with the Chrome Web Store, do you have to be on the Chrome browser to use it or not? I think so. I mean, you can go to chrome.angrybirds.com and it will play in any browser. I don't know how it works if you actually buy an app off the Google Web Store. I'm not really sure. Yeah. So and the business thing, because it's free, this, isn't it? So the business thing behind it is basically Google giving Rovio a load of money to show off Chrome. I've no idea who's paying who, but that's what I would expect. You know, this is going to... You know, I guess, again, like what you were saying, it's showcasing Chrome's abilities, right? Mm. And I guess that's all part of their push to encourage people to get modern browsers, specifically Mm. Chrome. I wonder wonder if it'll be successful or not. Well, I mean, you're already seeing, like, um, diminishing Explorer users, right? Chrome's eating into that market. No, sorry, I don't mean Chrome. I mean the Angry Birds thing. Yeah. I'm sure it's been like, pretty big, surely. Because, yeah, but I mean, the thing is that Chrome, yeah, the Angry Birds is like, it's a mobile game yeah. and it works in that context yeah. and it, it doesn't really work so well on the web. It loses a lot of the, its point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like once you play it on a desktop computer, you know, 
It's, I mean, Angry Birds is a weird one because Angry Birds is really... There are a million games like Angry Birds. There are so many yeah. box 2D-based physics games. Uh-huh. Angry Birds is just one that has good characters. Yeah. And is, you know, and it's well, it's well-tuned and everything. For some but... reason, it's just completely caught people's imagination, hasn't it? Yeah. It's I a media phenomenon, though, like the crazy frog. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. More than being, a, you know, the pinnacle of game design. Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's a sort of cultural phenomenon. Isn't it? The fact yeah. that it's a physics game yeah. is kind of almost irrelevant, really. It is, yeah, in a, in a strange way, yeah. But still interesting, because do you remember, I think it was a couple of months ago, they made a big announcement that there'd be a Facebook game of Angry Birds. Mm. At the time, I thought that it would be a Flash game, and the fact that no one's saying Flash games, and so they'd have, but saying it's a Facebook game would be cool, right? <laughs> but mm. if they said it was a Flash game, it wouldn't be cool. But I really did think that they'd be making a Flash <laughs> version of it. But now I've seen this, I'm like, well, maybe the Facebook game won't be a Flash game after all. Yeah. But yeah, interesting, like you mentioned, that they're using Flash for the sound. and Yeah, because once you do that, it just becomes a, po- a pointless exercise, essentially. They've not achieved their aim, have they, of yeah. Although, separating it from Flash? You know what, I think they might... Well, first of all, in-browser sound is really a bit crap. <laughs> yeah, it's right. still not really that reliable. Um, and mm. it's kind of hard to work with. And there's uh, some posts by the impact.js guy about that, right? Have you read those? Yeah. So we'll yeah. definitely We've link to those. That's before, really interesting. Um, but also, I think there might be something strategic going on, right? Because if you try and play Chrome, Chrome's Angry Birds without the Flash player, it says, sorry, you need the Flash player to, to play this game. And there's a link to install it. And then underneath it says, well, how about installing Chrome, which comes with, built in the, with the Flash player built in. Uh, <laughs> and then there's a link right, to download Chrome. So actually, that, although it might not have been deliberate, they might have just realized they couldn't have done the sound without Flash. Think they've actually turned it around into their favor to make mm. it quite a strategic yeah, advantage. Yeah, they've made it into a virtue, yeah. Yeah, to encourage people to download Chrome, which is... Because, I mean, I think that's a, a brilliant idea. It's another one of the reasons that Chrome is the best browser, is, you know... It takes care they, of Flash. Yeah, they just realise that Flash is, like, you know, for the time being, at least a completely integral part of, you know, using the web. Yeah. So, you know, and you do get the best experience possible then, which is the whole point, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and they, but, they I mean, do all one the thing security that, One thing that's interesting about um, the Angry Birds HTML version is, you know, we've talked before about typing code into your address bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I saw the so, hacks. So someone posted a thing the other day, which is like some for loops that you can paste into the address bar that will unlock all the levels for you. <laughs> that's insane, isn't it? Which is absolutely insane. So it's like the, the address bar becomes kind of like a little console yeah. for typing in your own code. <laughs> Which is a good thing and a bad thing, really. Yeah. It's neat. Like, hackers like that idea. You know, programmers love, you know, ideas like this that you yeah. can just program I bits. Guess. But at the same time, it, I mean, it makes it much easier to cheat, which can ruin games for people. Like, some people will cheat at games and then ruin their own experience. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they can't stop themselves. Like, people who read the last page of a book first. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not going to worry about those guys, but it could possibly be more of a... A sort of somewhat security issue right if it's that easy to mm, it's well i mean it's no nothing on the client is secure yeah like there's this thing called cheat engine that you can download that yeah. will let you go into your ram and change the the your score on a flash game say or change yeah. any any variable in a flash game so sure. but it's about how easy it is to do right yeah and i guess with the in-browser stuff it's easier than ever right i mean it's quite yeah, nice exactly, that yeah. if you play if you look at angry birds you can find all the graphics and download all the sounds and 
you know, really I mean, easily. That is a, I mean, that is a disaster, though, isn't it, really? I mean, it's like you can get all this stuff out of a Swift as well. But it's, just it's just a bit harder. It just makes it so easy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I quite yeah. like that. But talking about <laughs> the extents that uh, Google are going to avoid Flash, uh, did you notice the, um, the dancer animation? Is it Martha somebody? Uh, on the Google Doodle, it was about a week yeah. ago. So it's this beautiful animation um, by this animator. I probably should find out his name because he's a really amazing artist and he does these fantastic uh, animations of dancers all handcrafted. Really, really beautiful. We'll provide links again. Um, but So they had this Google Doodle, which was the dancer dancing around and sort of leaving a trail of letters. And they went so much, so many lengths to avoid using Flash when, of course, that's like the perfect perfect use case for flash no right? i just dis- i disagree do you yeah i think i don't think it had enough to warrant flash i think they did the right thing but did you see how they actually implemented it it was insane well, it doesn't it doesn't matter i mean they just had a load of images and positions right and yeah. they just played them right well they had loads of like div elements on the in the body which they just switched visibility on and off yeah with well, that's okay and like a 380k sprite sheet image and it didn't that's even okay. really work on ios yeah, but I mean, why use why use Flash um, if you can do it without? I mean, Google have like huge budgets. I yeah. mean, it, it would be much cheaper to do it in Flash. You could do it a lot quicker. It's the kind of thing that you know you don't even need a programmer to do in Flash, right? Yeah. Versus like probably a whole little team of developers at Google, but yeah. they can afford it. And and it's the kind of thing that I I honestly don't see it as a as a Flash thing. It didn't have sound. Right. It wasn't interactive. It didn't need any kind of nesting or anything. It only played through once. So interesting. Yeah, I d- yeah, I think you know it's fine. You I know, mean, it would have, but it would have taken like what half an hour to make that in Flash. Yeah, and I can't, you know, it must have taken yeah. quite a lot longer than that to get it running cross browsers. Surely, I mean, it did kind of work on the iPad, but there are all these weird little overlaps and stuff. Plus, also the extra process of time involved in and that stuff. I mean, I guess in some ways I like things that are kind of in the browser, but I don't mm. know. It just seemed. It just felt really over-engineered. I guess I'm not even, you know, I'm, I don't feel angry about it or anything. I'm just kind of surprised. <laughs> yeah. But, or it's not, no, it's not even not. that I'm surprised. It doesn't surprise me at all. But I find it very interesting that, that, that they're that, going to such great lengths to avoid the Flash player. I don't know. I wouldn't read, I wouldn't read too much into it, to be honest. No? I think that we're at the stage now where any, anything that can feasibly done, would be done without Flash is being done without Flash. Yeah. I think that's the reality that we need to get used to. Yeah, definitely. The fact that there aren't, the fact that there aren't good tools yet to do this stuff easily it's, you it's know, is almost. A, a side issue, isn't it? I mean, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that, that obviously needs to change if, like, okay. the average developer is going to make the same kinds of decisions. Mm. But, I mean, that, you know, the whole... I guess the thing is, moving into this creative JS you know, age, yeah. yeah, you have to get used to really convoluted, wacky workarounds <laughs> for doing everything, you sure. know, that's just what it's about, right? It, it's, well, yeah, I guess so, I guess most sort of it's, web programming is like that, right, just because there are a lot of sort of nasty workarounds that you have to do to get cross-browser compatibility, I mean, that is definitely getting better though, right, but just as it's getting better, we're trying to do more ambitious things with it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's I the guess thing. that's it's like, kind of like Flash has been all, all along as well, right? The thing is, Flash, like, because Flash updates so much, mm. like, the Flash we have now is designed to do the thing that it does. Whereas, does that make sense? I don't, I don't know. So, like, the tools and the language and the APIs that you have are designed to make the kinds of things that get made with Flash now. Yeah. Whereas 
that isn't true of HTML. Like HTML was never designed to do the things that it's doing now. And so it's never going to be as elegant. Slash started off knowing exactly what it wanted to do, but now I think that it's branched out into so many different areas that I don't think it is targeted at one specific thing anymore. And, and in a way, that's a shame. I think HTML has probably always been a bit more, you know, had perhaps a wider remit. But yeah, it's certainly getting to the stage now of doing animations and stuff with it is stretching that. But it's like, whereas HTML is a document format that's been stretched to do animations and rich, so-called rich media, I think Flash is an animation format that's been stretched to do documentation and information-based interactive stuff too. So they've kind of started at opposite ends and meeting in the middle. Mm. Yeah, I guess that I think the thing with Flash is that I, I think that Flash has been more reinvented like the the way that Flash 9 departed from Flash 8 mm. in terms of getting rid of ActionScript 2 and moving to ActionScript 3. Yeah. It's like that's the kind of decision that only like a, a proprietary plugin can make, whereas HTML stuff all has to be backwards compatible. Yeah, I mean, that's true to an extent, but then there are um, there are definitely advances happening in, in browser technology as well, right? You know, yeah, Canvas yeah, yeah, is definitely. pretty huge, but to be honest, the major thing is just how fast JavaScript is now. And I'm seeing developments in browsers happening much faster than I've ever seen before. There really does seem to be quite a bit of momentum around it. So Sure. I mean, the fact that you can do Angry Birds, because I mean, obviously it needs the Box2D engine to work and yeah. it runs reasonably fast. It's amazing. Like, I never thought JavaScript would get to that level. Yeah, yeah. Insane. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because it, there's things that they do with, I guess, type inference and things like that, where even though JavaScript isn't typed, you can kind of make make it f f almost as fast as if it was. Yeah. By knowing, what, you know, if you've got a number in a particular variable, etc. They've done some clever stuff, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I, just, I think we should probably think about wrapping it up, but um, there was just a couple of things. I noticed that there's a new a new Flash Player version on the incubator yeah. build. Most of it's kind of not that interesting, but there's a couple of fairly interesting things if you're that way inclined. Um, the first one is that there's no limit now on bitmap sizes at all. Right, yeah, that's cool. So you can load any size bitmap that you want. Um, I think that's actually particularly good for the sort of generative artists who are exporting their bitmaps at high resolution. Up until now, that's mm. been a bit of a pain. It's good for games as well, because you could store your whole level as a huge bitmap and she has you know split it around yeah i guess so i can't imagine that that would be as optimized as, as splitting up into sections but um yeah but i mean the problem you get when you split them into sections is that when you have like half of a bit of one section and a bit of another section mm. so just say you've got just say you've got like some huge bitmaps that are like you know 1024 by 1024 that make up your levels and your levels scroll around yeah where where you could have a, a corner where four of them touch yeah at which point you've got to do four separate uh, like copy pixels calls. Yeah. Whereas if you just had one huge bitmap, that would only be one. Yeah. Cool. Be interesting so to see. The I think overall it would probably still it's probably still be faster. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So the other thing so I thought was quite bitmap. interesting is that they've now got an H.264 encoder built into the Flash Player. Yeah, that's awesome. So you know, it sort of blows my mind a little bit that there's a video encoder in Flash at all. <laughs> Right in the Flash Player, mm. um, but of course for things like um, Skype-like apps in Flash, you're going to need that, right? And it's how the the YouTube camera recorder works, um, and also I, I how... guess how Chat Roulette works. Oh, you mean there's already one? There built is in. already one built in. I was told last night that it's H two six three. It's actually right. you know it's kind of 
pretty bad quality. It's not, it's not right. good at all. So this all. is when you're... Uh, yeah, and at the moment it only works by connecting to a media server, right? That's the only way to use it. Yeah, so I don't think that's going to change though, right? You still, oh, really? You still need to... The only way to actually do anything with it, as far as I know, is that you have to stream it to a server still. Oh. I assumed that you would be able to encode the bytes yourself and then do whatever you wanted with it. I'd be very surprised if that were the case, but I'll definitely check it out. Because that would be awesome. Then you could make, say, a client-side uh, YouTube uploader that actually... Because you know when you upload something to YouTube or Vimeo, you sometimes have to wait quite a long time for it to appear yeah. while it's like transcoded. Yeah. You could do that potentially on the client. Yeah. So, I mean, you can, rec you can I don't think you can do that. I think this is just literally for the camera. So it's for FMS-type right. applications. I'd be very right. surprised if it was otherwise. Um, but we yeah. will double-check. It'd be really cool if you could just make an H.264 video and upload it to a server in a different way or save it to your local file system. But I don't think that's yeah. the case at all. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I thought you'd be able to do with it. Like, you can encode a PNG and save it to your file system. I don't think so, but I'll double-check. Okay. Oh. So, yeah, apart from that, I've just been really... Well, you, uh, I'm in New York at the moment. I was in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, San Francisco before that. It's all been pretty yep. cool. Doing the Creative JS sessions? Yeah, so I did the, the course in San Francisco that went really well. In Toronto, I did What the Flux for probably the last time. And um, yeah, I've got two Creative JS workshops in New York. I just launched the tickets for one on, when was it, on Tuesday or something? Sold out in four hours, right. so I'm really wow. pleased. So are you not just going to keep running them until you run out of people? <laughs> yeah, I guess I am going to keep yeah, doing Yeah, because that. people still, if, there's, if it's sold out, that means there's people who still want to do it. Yeah, and I'm doing a, a right. short mini version at Flash on the Beach as well, a single sort of introduction to Creative JS, and that's sold oh, out cool. too. Oh, great. <laughs> so it's going all right at the moment. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but it's cool. I'm having fun here. Cool. Um, what was I going to say? So is that your main, is that your news? Uh, I've got a .NET magazine tutorial coming out, which is right. another more creative JS stuff. Yeah, it is. It's a, an iPad optimized JavaScript game where I'm actually moving the DOM elements around and but triggering oh, cool. the hardware optimization by using the 3D CSS transforms. Oh, nice. So I don't know when that's coming out. Probably July. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll let you know. And you were at Flash in the Can. Yeah, FITC. <laughs> Sorry, I always I'm so out. I think of it is flash in the can, but I think for because they want to uh, avoid any copyright issues with Adobe, they just call it FITC. Oh, that's an interesting one. Well, they need permission from Adobe to flash on the beach is still flash on the beach. Yeah, but it? John needs a, a permission from Adobe to use that that name. That's flash. insane. Um, in fact, it's like trademark user law as well. Trademark law scares the hell out of me. Yeah, and like any user group with the name Flash in their title legally mm. has to sign over ownership of their domain name to Adobe. That's incredible. Yeah. I never did with Flash know. Brighton, but we're not Flash Brighton you, anymore. Yeah, but so. I mean, it's not Flash Brighton anymore. No. I think t technology, single technology based user groups are like a silly idea. I think we should, I think the world's moved on from that, don't you think? Well, I think that, you know, and this is one of my favourite subjects actually, <laughs> but I think that, you know, five years ago it was enough to just be a Flash programmer. There was 
enough interesting stuff there but now i think mm. yeah it's all fragmenting a lot and just if you just there's so many different areas in flash that i prefer to sort of split it up by topic a lot of yeah. people in fact last night i was at flash coders new york and they had ryan stewart the adobe guy there really nice guy but right. he said oh there might be some html developer in the room like referring to me and it's like well right. i'm not really an html <laughs> developer i'm a creative yeah. coder yeah, they're right? asking for your membership card basically. <laughs> yeah no not really <laughs> not at all but i was just like is that what it's it's funny that flash programmers now see me as an html developer if i'm at a javascript mm. conference they all think i'm a flash developer and it's like it's i it makes it makes much more sense to to define myself as a creative coder but it's not probably so easy to explain to people mm. the thing is i you know i'm still a flash person mostly but i i would still rather go to a mixed technology event because is I like the cross pollination of ideas. Sure. And I actually find a lot of flash things quite boring now because <laughs> you just it's just the same stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's like if you look at like the people that John asks to flash on the beach, a lot of them aren't flash guys because if you actually just had the flash guys, they're too boring. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like you know the, the kind of issues that flash people tend to get concerned with is, you know, programming like design patterns and things like that that you know maybe aren't that interesting sorry guys i also think that you know again like you know when i went to my first flash conference which i think was flash forward new york and i think it was 05 it might have been 06 and there was so much really groundbreaking creative work happening and i'm not saying that there isn't any of that now in flash but it does seem to be that you know the the real um the newsmakers are stuff like well you know for starters there's the Rome project which might be a bit of a uh, an exception but you know certainly that it's certainly a lot more kind of exciting i guess to to do this in in browser stuff but even outside of the browser you know the really exciting stuff to me is is all the you know uh, open frameworks processing community all that whole raft of art based programmers are probably not mm. doing flash anymore well they are a few of them are but not quite so they all used to be doing flash because that was the only option in 2005 yeah there's a thing that i'm quite excited about actually which is this thing called monocle engine no, I've heard about that. Which is basically a kind of, it's a C++ based open source game engine. Yeah. Very influenced by Flash, like it's 2D, um, it uh, lets you export animations from Flash and bring them in as like puppet animations. Mm. It's really cool and it's going to be cross-platform, it's still like in development. Yeah. Um, We'll have to see if we can get the guy, Alec, how, something, Alec from Canada on. Sure. To talk about it at some point. I'd That'd be, be cool. interested to see how it can... I know it's a completely different thing, but it seems to be solving the same problem as the Corona well, engine, right? Um, yeah, but it seems to have the ethos of like a, you know, like an open framework, so like the way it is all open source. Oh, I think cool. that... Do you know what I mean? That yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah, it does. I think I was quite rude to Alec on Twitter once, so <laughs> I'll have to apologise and see if we can get him to come on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I really do want to have um, Alec on to talk about Monaco actually, because okay. another thing that's interesting about it is it uses this. I think it uses. They're going to do the scripting in this. Is it Squirrel or something? Squirrel. Yeah, which is like an open source, like dynamic language. Mm. But I just find that quite interesting. Yeah, interesting. I like things that are open source. They appeal to me. Like I'm kind of getting to that stage as well myself, really. Um, despite the fact that open source is sometimes a challenge. Um, I mean, when people talk about like Ubuntu and, you know, how they love using it and stuff, I just think that's awesome. And I just wish that I could. I mean, (laughs) you know, because of the tools I use, like Flash, I I can't. But 
Yeah, I, it's it's very appealing, but of course, inevitably, there's a lot of um, difficulty working with open source in terms of documentation, getting it to run in on your system. But I do love that whole collaboration, and I sort of feel that I'm I'm working on this exciting project, which I'm not going to talk about yet, but it's going to be um, demoed at Flat on the Beach. It's a it's something involving smartphones and other things. Um, and I've just decided that it could be quite a useful system, so I'm just going to open source it, and that whole idea is pretty exciting. Cool. Yeah, yeah but, that sounds but great. But more about that later. But we should mm. wrap up for today, huh? Yeah. Oh, can I just talk about um, like Game Camp no. that I went to briefly? Yeah, sure. No? <laughs> yeah, of course you can. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it was really fun, actually. It was a, like an unconference that was held in London, mm. um, just a one-day thing. And so the format of an unconference is there's no speakers um, like anyone can just write a session idea up on a board. So it's like it's just bar camp, right? It's like bar camp. Um, I guess bar camp's an unconference as well. Yeah, that's exactly right? the same way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had I had never been to an unconference. They're so fun, aren't they? I didn't really. Huh? Yeah, it was really good fun. Yeah, yeah like I ended up running like three sessions. <laughs> like I had one that I kind of went with that I wanted to talk about, which didn't come out that great, but kind of there were points where we were just looking at the board and there's nothing I wanted to see and there was empty rooms so I just wrote my idea up yeah and then went and like got you know quite big crowds of people cool and it's not you, what's nice about it is you can talk you can have a session about the thing that you want to see yeah whereas in a normal conference format you're kind of forced to uh you know choose a track basically yeah whereas this I mean there's way more tracks because there was like eight eight different rooms mm -hmm. so but also it's just the fact of yeah you can you can make the conference be whatever you want it to be yeah which is really great and it was nice and uh quite a lot of um women there as well oh, which cool. is unusual for a conference yeah and that was in london and yeah are they doing another one soon yeah i think so i think they're gonna try and make them do two a year yeah cool Brilliant. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. Um, on the next episode, oh, in fact, I should mention this, that uh, while I was in San Francisco, I got to interview uh, Robert Hodgin, uh, Flight 404, absolutely brilliant creative coder. So we'll have his interview on the next episode. Looking forward to it. Cool. Okay. So thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.